Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. This week we're going to start a brand new theme, sermon series theme that will take us until the holidays this year. And our theme uh, going into it is together, as you can see on the screens, together. Um, Because life's much better lived together, amen? Now, I'm not saying that there are not times that we need some downtime and alone time, right? Yesterday morning, we, we drove to Florida and back with three little ones. Just, if you know, you know. If you don't know, I'm, I'm, you've never had that privilege and joy. I'm still saved and they're still alive. That's a good day, right? One of the things that I, I learned, though, is on Saturday morning when... We were home. We got home Friday night. Saturday morning, I got up and was going to the post office to pick up all of our mail that was on hold. I get there, and as, and as soon as I got in my truck and started and started driving down the road, like this huge grin just came across my face. I couldn't help it because I was in the car with the radio off, and it was still silent. It was the most like, oh, oh, thank you, Jesus, moment, Right? Because sometimes we still need time to recharge. We need some alone time. We need some downtime. And that's part of it. And that's okay. But I would not have traded a single minute on that long drive. I wouldn't have traded one moment of that with my family for anything in the world. We made memories. We saw things. We laid on the beach. And we did a whole bunch of fun stuff. It was a great time. But it was done together. But you know what I equally was looking forward to? Being back here with you today. Because I love being together with my family. Family's where it's at for me. I love it. Life is better together. And so we're going to deal and, and begin to look at this over the next um, uh, several months, the idea of what the Bible talks about and how things are supposed to be done together. It's the way it works. All through the New Testament, it's knit together in there that things are done together. And we're going to look at all the different nuances from family, uh, from growth together, uh, doing life together. We're going to talk about it from a lot of different angles and what the Bible has to say. I really believe this is a unique and an important season for us as a church family because if we don't stay together, we're going to miss out on some things that God wants to do. Amen? No man is an island unto himself. Life is better together. And we're going to spend some time digging into this. Today, today's message is simply called Better together. Our text that is the foundation for this entire uh, series of messages, this theme that we're entering into, is found in Ephesians. And so if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. If you want to stick a marker in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to also get there a little bit later. But in Hebrews chapter 4, and just I'm just curious, so don't feel bad either way, okay? How, how many of you are actually turning in your Bible? You have your Bible and you're going to turn to it. How many of you? How many of you are just going to watch it on the screens? That's perfectly fine. I'm just curious. How many of you actually bring a, a, a physical Bible with you to church, though? We just hold them up. How many of you have a digital version? Hold those up. It's great. I would hold mine up, too. I have that. A lot of times when, when, uh, when Pastor Mike is preaching and I'm taking notes, I'm writing, on my, I'm writing on my iPad, writing notes. I'm not on Facebook surfing around. Listen, <laughs> I'm writing notes. I'll show you my handwritten notes if you need to see them. But sometimes it's easier to flip over there and just pull up the verse real quick and I can copy and paste it right and It just works for me. 
I don't have a problem either way. Main thing is I want us to be in the word. Have a, a daily, regular time. Can I just tell you one thing that's impossible to do? It's impossible to grow if you don't eat. And Jesus said he was the bread of life, and the Bible says that he was the word. And that the word, when we, when we are taking this in on a regular basis, it gives us strength. It's a whole different story for a different day, and we'll get there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, each part, everything working together, the thing that Paul is referencing here is that we have to be committed to growing together. We grow together, not, not, not just numerically, though we want to see more new faces coming in and accepting the Lord Jesus and seeing life change, life change happen. That is an important part of what we do together as a church. But that's not the only thing. We also have to be committed to growing personally, growing in our faith in the Lord, and together as the body. I believe that together as a church family, we dig wells of prayer. We dig wells in the word. And we've got to dig them deep so that they last for generations. You know, one of the reasons why it's so easy to preach in our pulpit and the anointing is so strong is because we're standing in a well that Dan Schaefer dug years and years ago. When I go, when I go to my, my morning prayer time with my spiritual father, it's easy to pray and connect with the Lord because he spent 25 years digging a well of prayer in that place. We've got to dig those wells deep. Some of us, let's be honest, we've gotten a little bit lax and just used to the fact that it's there and we're not necessarily digging on our own. We've got to renew our commitment to digging those wells deeply in prayer and in the word. We've got to be committed to growing personally and growing together as a family. Now, our text, as I've been studying over this for the last uh, couple of months, in fact, we, what you find is that there are some competing scholarly thoughts on how to best interpret this text in light of the overall context. Uh, I don't really see them as competing because I see them working hand-in-hand hand really well together. One of them that I think is a little bit more in the, I would say the errant side, though I'm certainly not one to say that any theologian is an, is an error. I just don't agree with it as much. Let me say it that way. But one of them, it says that the special gifts to the church that Jesus gives in verse 11 of this chapter, the Bible says in verse 11 that he gave some to be pastors, or some to be apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Those, he, he specifically references those. Some scholars think that it's this verse, this passage is in reference to that, that they're the ones and them alone who help to bind the church together and bring nourishment to the body. Now, my struggle with that is that we place on those who are involved in the fivefold ministry, if they're a pastor or an evangelist or a teacher, an apostle, prophet, uh, if you're in those five, we put too much emphasis there and too little emphasis on everybody else. That's a very, uh, let me say it this way, a very Catholic way of thinking, that only the priest can go to the Lord. We believe we are all able to go to the Lord. I have a relationship with Jesus. You have a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. So we have a job to grow together. So my struggle is that we place on, on them too high of an expectation and too high of a burden. 
Now, I want to give you an example. When I was a kid, my granddad raised cattle. I can remember tons of times when they had moved into town in Shakota, they weren't out on the ranch anymore, out on the farm, that in, in the little uh, fenced-in area that they had, out behind their house in town, he still had cattle. And he, at times, had longhorn cattle. And I was just waiting for him to take one of those set of longhorns and put it on the front of one of his cars, like Boss Hogg. I was just waiting for the day. Not only he, but my uncle also raises cattle. There in Shakota, he has about 85 acres, and he raises cattle. Most of them just for slaughter for family, and, and, and we've benefited from that as family all, all through the years. When I was growing up as a kid, the family that we would stay with when my parents went out of town, they had a lot of cattle. One of the things that, that was so interesting is when you, see, when you see cattle being raised and you find out how that's going before I get too far, please don't take this analogy, this example, to mean that I'm calling you a bunch of heifers, because I'm not. Let me get that out there real quick. Here's the way it works. When it was time to feed the cattle, we would get in the pickup, we would load down the, the, the feeding um, bay on the back of the truck with the feed that we are going to feed. The troughs would all be lined up. You'd drive out there into the pasture over the cattle guard. Didn't have to have a gate because you had a cattle guard. It just kept them in naturally. You'd drive out there. You would drive along the, the side of the, the troughs. I would have gotten out, gotten onto the back and pulled the pin so to let the feed pour out from the, the, the feeding t container and into the trough. You would honk the horn then. The cattle would come running. Like when you first drove out there, they're looking at you like, what are you doing out here? But then as soon as you started honking the horn, they came a-running. Some of them, they were excited and they were jubilant and they were jumping and kicking and bucking and they were running as fast as they could to get to the food. They didn't want to do all the work and, and their four stomachs were not quite full. Others, some, some of the old big heifers, they, they didn't quite need to be that excited. Because their four stomachs were still full and they were churning and, and chewing the cud and regurgitating, doing everything the cows do, and, and st still doing just fine. And they would meander over a little bit slower, but they were bigger, so they'd push the younger cows out of the way and they would just get right up to the feed trough and do their thing. Now, here's the thing I never, ever saw my family or my friends, not a single time, never get out and shove one of those cattle's head down into the trough so it would eat. You just didn't have to do it. You never had to force the cow to come to the food to eat. I never heard them beg one of them to eat either. Now, you really need to get over there to that trough and eat. Never happened. It was a natural part of the process. It's kind of like on Saturday mornings and you tell your kids that you're going to take them to get donuts. All of a sudden, everybody's awake and they're in a good mood and they're ready to listen and obey and jump in the truck and go. It's the same kind of process. Now, my job as your pastor is very similar to the rancher in this example. It's to lead you to the food. We sound the call through worship. And in the same way, some of us get super excited and jubilant and we are thrilled because we have a chance to worship and we're getting ready for what God wants to do. Some of us are still full because we have a regular diet. We have a regular steady diet of the word and of prayer time. And, and, and we, we're not quite as exuberant and all that stuff, but we still get to the table. We still make it there and we're still ready to eat. 
So we sound the call through worship, and then I put out the food that I've prepared. Now, it's not a TV dinner. It's not somebody else's leftovers. It's something that's been labored over and prepared fresh for you. Then I serve it, prayerfully hoping that it will serve you well, nourish your soul, and sustain you as you wade out into the pasture of life to face whatever the world's going to throw your way. It's the same way. That's what we do. Now, if we go by this first thought process, it's my job to make sure you stay nourished all the time and not your job to stay connected so that you remain nourished yourself. One of the greatest problems that we've seen rise in the modern church era is that we've taught people to come to church on the weekends and get their experience taken care of and not taught them to feed themselves during the week. We've got to learn to grow. We've got to learn on our own how to connect with the Lord. I've told this story a hundred times. When I was the youth pastor at Crossroads, Dan Barrick, who was a legend in youth ministry one time, came down to the camp, and I was sitting there with him at the back. This was still at Turner Falls. We were sitting out at the back behind the tabernacle, watching service happen. Kids are going to the altars, and he grabbed me and said, just sit here for a minute. I need to go pray with the kids in the altars. He said, just sit for a minute. All these teenagers have flooded the altars. All of our coaches, the the adult leaders who were there, they flooded the altars with the kids. And he leaned over to me and said, you need to let them pray with the kids first. And I didn't understand. I said, why? He said, because if you don't, you'll teach them that the only way they can have an experience with Jesus is if you're praying with them. They have to learn to connect with the Lord themselves. And there's no greater opportunity than right here and right now. Family, we've got to learn to grow together, amen? I want all of us to grow together in the Lord. I want all of us to be connected. See, if we allow our expectations to be that it's those in the special positions job to keep us bound together, then we discount the job of every other part of the body. We discount it. I don't, want to, I don't ever want to discount it. That's why the competing, the, 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 the contrary, the other thought is more appropriate in my view. That is that this verse references to each of us growing together and becoming all that God has intended for us to be together. I have a job. You have a job. Everybody has a job. And every job is equally as important. Paul makes that reference over and over and over. You can't say that because I'm not the mouth that I want to be out of the body. That because I'm the little toe that I'm unimportant. If you don't have a little toe, your balance is off. We need every single part of the body. Here in this passage, he references ligaments uh, and the way that things are connected and how it builds everything together. We need to be connected together. I need you. You need me. We need to serve together and love together. That's why next Sunday we're having this big team meeting. It's because we want to help you, those of you who have been serving and are serving, we want you to be there, but we want to celebrate you. Those who are looking for a way to get connected, how do I get plugged into the church? This is for you. We're going to gather around the table. We'll have some food. We'll have a time of sharing. It's not going to be a Sunday night service. Don't worry. This is not a regular new coming thing, okay? That's not what this is. This is a one-hour event to help you get connected and help us to grow together more as a family. It's a one-hour thing. It's going to be a great opportunity to learn more about how to be involved because each job connects us to somebody else. If I'm doing my job well, it nourishes you. In the same way, if you're doing your job well, it nourishes me. We grow together. So today we're going to look at how 
to be better together. Each one of the three ways that we're going to look at today starts with because. I like to answer those really important questions. Why? How do we grow together? How do we become better together? Number one, it's because we're better together because Christ is the head. Christ is the head. There's a, a, a pretty scary trend that's kind of invading our world today. It's really scary to me as, as a pastor. It's even more scary to me as a believer. And this cultural trend is that people want Christ, but they don't want the church. I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I'll do without the church. I, I get so tired of seeing uh, articles being shared and blogs being written and, and stories being told of what's wrong with the church. Can I just tell you that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. It is the bride. He paid the ultimate price to purchase us for redemption, to purchase us for an eternal inheritance. He paid the price. We can never get away from that. We are his bride. So to say that we don't want the bride is kind of like saying, you know what? I don't like my brother's wife. I, I like my brother and I'll go hang out with my brother, but if his wife's around, I'm out. She needs to go away. Now, I don't doubt that there are some of you that are going, yeah, yeah that's right on, preacher. I like my brother, but I don't like his wife. Or I like my sister, but I don't like her husband. I didn't pick her. He did. Do you know why he picked her? Because he fell in love with her. Now, I didn't pick her. I wouldn't have married her for anything. That'd be gross. Here's the thing. My job is to not fix her or do away with her. My job is to learn to look over all of her faults, failures, and shortcomings as a person and embrace her as my brother's wife. In the same way, my job is not to fix the bride of Christ. It's to love her and to overlook her faults, her failures, and her shortcomings. All the things that drive me crazy, I look over them because the Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins. We are better together. And I don't pick and choose. I take what the Bible says it is. So we've got to choose. We've got to, we've got to choose to say, I embrace the church. Now, I know there are some people who are still saying, why? Why do I have to pass over all of the issues? Why can't I just pass over the church and keep a relationship with Jesus? Well, let me offer you three really quick reasons. Number one, you're a part of the bride. That'd be like saying, I want to be the bride of Christ, but you know what? I'm not about being with everything else. I'm done. No, no, no. Doesn't work that way. Number two, as his bride, the church is a huge part of the story of God's redemptive plan. You can't read the book of Ephesians and get away from that. It is all about how the church is part of the redemptive story. We are, because we're his bride, we are the hope of the world. 
The local church community is the hope of the world. There are people around us in this neighborhood that wouldn't give church one moment's notice, but because we as a church family have been there for their kids. We have been there offering uh, uh, different services through, through uh, 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 what's that called, seasons of change, and through all of the various things that we as a church do right here in this community. Because we're involved with that, there are people that are saying, maybe the church isn't out just for my money. Maybe the church isn't out for everything else. They're here, and they're involved, and they're opening their eyes to a church that loves them. They're finding hope. Why? Because we've been involved. We have taken it on and said we're going to make a difference. The church is the hope of the world. Now, God doesn't need us. Let me say that loud and clear. God doesn't need anything. But he has chosen his omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent uh, persona of who he is has chosen to do his work through us. Humanity, with all of its failed and flawed and blemishes, he's chosen us to do his work. And as such, we have to do whatever it takes to reach people and help them know Jesus. We are, as the body of Christ, the hope of the world. The third reason why it's important, and this is where we get to the, you know, because the Bible says so answer. Hebrews 10 Verses 24 and 25 say, and let us not be concerned. See, add one word and you ruin the whole thing, right? And let us be concerned. But how many times do people read it and let us not be? I don't have to. Read the Bible for what it says. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I don't, I don't think I have to uh, go to a lot of work to convince most of you that the day, the day of the Lord, the end of humanity and time as we know it, is fast and rapidly approaching. Look around us and we see that the signs of the times are everywhere, as the old song says. It, it, the midnight cry is about to happen. The return of the Lord is ever near. We don't have to, to, to uh, uh, have some far-fetched reasoning. Everything around us seems to be pointing to its coming, and one day could happen at the twinkling of an eye. You never know. Before you get home today, it could have happened. You may not make it out of this parking lot. Make sure that you know Jesus today because today could be the day. Don't let a moment go by without knowing that your salvation is secure. I don't have to convince most of you that today could be that day. But Hebrews, Hebrews here gives us an even clearer reason to continue to be involved in the church so that you can be encouraged, not just be encouraged, but be an encouragement so that you can share with others, so that you can make a difference in somebody else's life because we're better together. We can promote love. We can promote good works. It's hard to promote things to yourself. Have you ever tried? Have you ever gone into your closet and grabbed that really ugly shirt that you know is a really ugly shirt and tried to promote it to yourself that it's going to look good on you? It doesn't work very well, does it? But when your spouse comes in, oh, that looks great on you. You need to wear that. It looks beautiful. No, 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 no. Don't worry about what anybody else has said. That's a great. All of a sudden, you feel some confidence. Why? Because we're connected together. Encouraging helps when it's with somebody else. Otherwise, you're talking to yourself. 
I know David said he encouraged himself in the Lord, and we can all do that by grabbing the Bible and beginning to quote it to ourselves. That's great. But sometimes you need somebody else in the foxhole with you. Now, we've got to be connected together. I'm glad Jesus is the head of the church. Amen? I'm really glad Jesus is the head. He's the head. He's the one that everything comes from. He's the one that all the nourishment flows from. He's the one that makes it happen. In fact, it's his job to make the church grow. Did you know that? Did you know it's not my job? It's not my job. It's not Pastor Mike's job. It wasn't Pastor Dan's job. You know whose job it is? Jesus. The Bible says that we have jobs to play. The Bible says that it's our job to plant seed, to water them, to harvest them when they're ready, but making them grow, that's his job. So let's all be committed to do our job, amen? First of all, we've got to plant. We have to plant seeds. Our job is to plant seed. That's by telling people about Jesus in a meaningful way. I want to tell people about him, amen? I want them to know that there is a Jesus that we can live for, that wants to make a difference in their lives. We've got to water the seed. How do we do that? By consistently living the life in front of them and being honest when we make mistakes. Have you ever known somebody to blow it? I have. I've been the guy to blow it. Sometimes I like to push buttons. We were on vacation. I'll tell you this great story. It's my favorite story to tell Jerry because he's the one who got, me, who got me into this. I was on vacation and we were headed over to the beach and you have to go on a roundabout. So I'm there and I need to go straight through. person on my right has gone. There's another car behind them. It's my turn to go. My turn. Not hers. She decides to go ahead and go anyways after I've already started into the intersection. I saw her the whole time. And I just kept let the car go a little bit farther and a little bit closer. I thought maybe she didn't see. I'd hate for her to be asleep at the wheel. So I gave the horn a little honk. I've already repented. She turns and looks at me, gives me the Jesus is the way sign with both hands and tells me how to get there. So in good, loving, pastoral fashion, I said, you're a good driver. Good job. That's what I learned from Jerry. Tell them they're a good driver and smile at them real big. She motored on and I made my way. Here's the thing. Was that very Christian? No. 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 Did it feel vindictive and that I deserve? Yeah, yeah. Didn't make it right. You know what's worse than that? Now my kids go, you're a good driver. One moment of pushing someone else's button in the flesh is now going to cost me months of correcting what I taught my kids was okay. We have to be in this together. I blew it. I blew, it's a funny story. 
We've all been there. We've all felt that way. But you know what we didn't discover? It's the ramifications. But you know what I did? I sat down and said, guys, I blew it. And I was really honest with him about why daddy was wrong. Now, we can all be honest. You, you know what is one of the most watering things we can do in someone else's life that we have sown a seed or a seed has been sown into? Is when we do make mistakes, to be honest and say, I blew it. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? You know what? We've, we've talked about this before. The three most sought-out phrases in all of humanity is, I love you, I forgive you, and let's eat. The three most biblical phrases we're going to find. Jesus paid the price to say, I love you. He paid the price to say, I forgive you. And one day he's coming back for his bride to say, let's eat. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's the three most important phrases that we're going to hear. Be honest. We don't have it all together, amen? But be honest. That is some of the most important work that we can do to water the seed that's been sown. The third part of the job is to harvest. Helping that person come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And friends, let me tell you, there is nothing greater than helping that person move from lost to found, from sinner to saint, from hellbound to one day going to split heaven wide open. There is nothing greater than that. Let's be all about the Father's business, but let's trust that the process of going from planting to harvesting is his job to make it grow. Because I can't do it and you can't do it. It's his job. But we still do what we're required to do. Sow seed, water it, and harvest it. We've got to be about doing his work, his job. So not only are we better together because Jesus is the head of the church, but also because others are valuable. Because others are valuable. Now, when we talk about others being valuable, we don't normally have a problem seeing the value in someone else. Uh, this week, I got a call from the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Not an outstanding ticket. I don't have any of those. Got a call from Trooper Smith. We played phone tag for a few days. Finally got a hold of him. He said, I'm calling in reference to a friend of yours who's made application to become one of the, the, the great state troopers of Oklahoma. I said, great. He said, I've got a few questions. We start down the dialogue of the interview, and he says, can you tell me what his most important attribute is? What is it that stands out that makes him great? Easy question. It's easy to point out somebody's value. He says, what would you say is his least attractive um, personality trait, characteristic? Oh. Oh. Well... If you're a normally positive person, those are hard to find. If you're a normally negative person, they're easy to see. It's easy to see what we're looking for. Let's start looking for other people's value. Other people are valuable, and let's see why they're valuable in our lives. Point to the good stuff. So though it's easy to see why other people are valuable, I want to spend a few minutes discussing why they're valuable in our lives. Uh, Paul said in our text that we grow together, right? That together we grow. We, us, plural, 
It's something that happens collectively. Yes, we grow individually, but collectively we have to be connected in order for growth to occur. It's not something that we do alone. We do it together. The old saying is if you want to go quickly, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. Making the drive to Florida, if I had to do it all by myself, I can get there a whole lot faster because I ain't going to stop to go to the bathroom all the time, right? But if I want to go a long ways, I take somebody else with me. You want to go far because you're going to need to sleep. That's part of the process. We go together. Okay, so, so Paul said we've got to work through this together. That's one great reason why we need others. Another great reason why we need others is because you make me sharper. Other people sharpen you. That's what Proverbs 27, 17 says, that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. That means you're going to have to purpose to be around some sandpaper people. There are going to be some people that are going to say some stuff that you don't like. They're going to make you better, though. I don't always like it, but I need it. You make me sharper. Together we sharpen one another. That's what those honest conversations do. We've got to work together. And there have been tons of times I've been sharpened by conversations with many of you. It's made a difference in my life. We need to be paying attention and seeing those moments. Not only do you make me sharper, you make me stronger. Other people make us stronger. Ecclesiastes 4.12. And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Together we're stronger. Others in my life strengthen what I'm able to do. Now, at youth camp, years ago, we would play. Uh, they had a big event day. And there was about seven different events. It was the only time at youth camp that we played tug of war. The room that I happened to be staying in was always thrilled when they say, coaches can play. That's when my value really shined through as the anchor. That rope wasn't going anywhere. You get all strapped in and hunker in and baby, you were done, right? They could pull all they wanted to. They weren't going to get us to go anywhere. It's just the way it works. We all have an intrinsic value, but we need others involved. It's amazing what difference happens, how much stronger we are together when we come together and do what we're able to do. You know, when I played football in junior high, I remember going to, when I was just a seventh grader and it was the summer before my seventh grade year and I'd gone to work out and lift weights and everything with my brother and the high school kids. And I remember getting there and the high school football coach, Coach Lee said, Travis, what, uh, he was talking to my dad, what, what, what Travis want to play in football this year? And my dad said, well, he thinks he wants to play quarterback. Because my dad played quarterback. And Coach Lee said, huh, I see left tackle for him. You know what would have been a really bad thing for me? To play quarterback. If I had played running back, it would have been a disaster. Why? Because I ain't going to beat anybody to the corner. But you know what was really good? When I played left tackle because I helped them get to the corner. We all have a role to play. When I'm operating in my strengths, it allows you to operate in your strengths and do what only you are able to do. That's how we stay connected and work together and become stronger together. We've got to work through this. Now, Jesus said the same thing a little bit differently in Matthew 18, 19. He said, again, I assure you that if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Two or three come together as touching and agreeing. It will be accomplished whatsoever you ask, Right? That's the idea. We're working together. Why? Because we're all better together. Whether it's because we're made stronger in the fight or stronger in prayer, we need one another. 
the last reason why we need others is because it's the model, the biblical model for all generations. It's the biblical model. Let me prove it to you. In the Old Testament, when God called Moses in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, he said it this, he introduced himself to Moses this way. He said, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. How did he introduce himself? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three separate generations. Tracking? Jesus confirmed this same thought process in Mark 12, 26. Confirmed what Moses said. He said, now concerning the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So here Jesus is echoing the same thing from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Maybe you're saying, well, yeah, yeah, that was Jesus. Okay, great. Let's go on into Acts. Because Peter says the same thing in Acts 3.13. He says that the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is it important? Why am I spending so much time elaborating on three generations? Because we need three generations. I need not just my own father. I need a spiritual father in the journey. Somebody that I can get advice from and say, no, no, you're seeing it wrong. I need somebody who's on the same playing field with me, and I need somebody behind me, somebody younger than me that I'm investing in as well. We need three generations. I need you. You need me. We need others in our lives. It's the biblical model. We need that. Having connections and relationships on all spectrums in our lives is the only way that God supplies our lives. I need what you have to offer, and you need what I have to offer. We need others in our lives together. It's how God-given nourishment gets to us. Because we're better together. Because Christ is the head. Because others are valuable. And because you, you are valuable. It's easy to see the value in others. This is the hard one. Because what do we see in ourselves most of the time? The failures, the faults, the blemishes, the mistakes. That's what we see. You know how many times like you'll go through the day and nobody will have pointed out that you have something stuck in your teeth until you look in the mirror and what's the first thing you see? That piece of pepper that's still there, right? You, you, how, how many times has it happened You know that you, you have a blemish and all day you, nobody else said anything about it and the first time you look in the mirror later in the day, not when you still have sleep in your eyes, and you're like, why didn't anybody point that out? Because we don't. Because we point out the, our, our failures and our faults and our, our shortcomings so much all the time. But hear me say this. You are valuable. You. For me, I'm valuable. I have something to offer. I have something inside of me. Here's the thing. My weaknesses... My mistakes, there's something that God can and will use to make a difference in someone else's life. My mistakes, my weaknesses serve as an example to someone else so that they can follow them to prevent the same catastrophe in their life. Let me, let me, let me clarify. It's really easy for me to be passionate about not picking up hot metal that's just been cut with a, a blowtorch. Because as a six-year-old little boy, my uncle cut the end off of a hay spike, and I walked over and said, hey, Uncle Donald, is this hot? As I grabbed it. It's easy to say, don't do that. It's hot. 
Why? Because I've been there. My mistakes serve as a roadmap of what not to do. Similarly, I could tell you with great certainty, you know why? If you create a financial mess in your marriage, don't lie about it. Why? Because you make the issues much worse. Why? Because my mistakes serve as a roadmap of what not to do. We all have mistakes in our lives. Be honest about them. Be honest. It's easy to say, do not go play soccer with your kids and when you get tripped up, try to do a tuck and roll like you're 12 years old. Why? Because you'll break your collarbone, not get to go to Africa and have to have surgery with a metal rod and seven screws in your shoulder. I've been there and done that. So heed my advice. When you're 37 years old, don't be playing soccer with your kids. Just avoid it. Yeah. We're going through a security check at, at, at Disney. Walk up there, go through there, beep, 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 beep. I don't have anything on me. They want me. Get over my shoulder, beep, beep, beep. Sir, are you concealing a weapon? No. I'm concealing my stupidity. Leave me alone. Right? How'd that happen? I don't have time to tell you the story. There's a rod and seven screws in that shoulder, though. Oh, man, that sounds like a good story. Nope, I don't have time to tell you, sir. Uh-uh. Here's the thing. Our mistakes serve as a roadmap for somebody else to avoid. But being able to say that and share that requires vulnerability. We have to be okay with the fact that I have something to offer, that my value is not wrapped up in my perfection. My value is wrapped up in the fact that I got knocked down, but I lived and I survived. I'm valuable because I have a blessing to give. I'm valuable because there's something in me for you. That takes on many shapes. It could be keeping your kids for a date night. It could be that, that you be there for someone at the hospital during a tragic moment. It could be that you bless somebody financially in a moment of need or just because you want to. It could be that, that you, you hear a word from God for them and you share it with them and it's a blessing to them, a confirming word. It could be that you encourage them to go for that dream that's been in their heart. Being there, your value is not wrapped up in your perfection. Your value is wrapped up in your willingness to connect. I have something in my life that needs to be passed on to the people I'm connected to. We've got something to pass on. Here's the thing. I'm a conduit. You're a conduit. We're all a conduit. What does a conduit do? It passes through. It passes through. When you flip the switch on a light switch, it makes the connection line of electricity pass so that the light comes on. When you flip the switch down and turn it off, you break the conduit so that the electricity doesn't continue to pass. We have to be willing to leave the light switch on so that we make the connection and pass it on to somebody else. Why? Because I have something you need and you have something that I need. We've got to remember what Hebrews says. And let us not, see there it is again. We want to interject what we think. But the Bible says to be concerned about one another. We've got to be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. But if we're not concerned, then we can't promote love. We've got to be concerned about one another so that we can do that. Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near.
So let's be concerned about one another. Let's, let's stay connected. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, maybe you'd say, Pastor Travis, you know what? And I hear what you're saying, and it sounds good. I want to be connected. We're better together. I agree. My life is better off when I am in connection with other people, but I'm struggling with this idea of how to connect with others in the church. First of all, let's make sure that we're connected to Jesus because when Jesus is the author of our faith, then out of duty to him, we want to be connected to the other family. We all become brothers and sisters. So maybe let's start there. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I... My faith with Jesus is not where it should be. I've, I've lost my connection to the source, to the head, him who everything flows from. And today I want to get reconnected with him. I want, to, I want to repent of the sin in my life. If that's you, you've allowed sin in your life and it's separating you from God. But today you want to return to him. Would you slip up a hand? All right. Who else? All right. Anybody else looking left or right? Anybody else? Okay. Secondly, today, maybe you would say, you know what, Pastor, I've, I really need, I really need somebody to come alongside me and agree with me about what's going on. You know, sometimes it's just that simple moment of prayer, that simple moment of connecting with somebody to say, you know what, I need help. I need you to help me. I, I need somebody to be right there alongside me that I can connect with and say, here's where my struggle's at. And if that's you and you've got one of those moments, would you slip up a hand? All right. Come on, who else? The Lord's dealing with you and you just need somebody to agree with you and to connect with you on that level. All right, here's what we're going to do. If everybody will look this way, and if you'll stand all across the audience, as you're standing, our elders are going to make their way, our prayer team's going to make their way down to the front. And if you raised your hand and said, I've got sin in my heart and it's separating me from God. Or if you said, I need someone to agree with me about what I'm facing. Or if you need prayer for anything, we want to agree with you. As Rachel and Josh lead us in this song, we have a, a moment of worship here together. Whatever you need prayer for, we're with you. Why? Because we're in this together. We're better together, amen? And so part of that is we've got to pray, we've got to agree, we've got to know that God can and God will. So if you raised your hand or you need prayer for anything, as they sing, we want to invite you to make your way down as the Holy Spirit leads you. Whatever you need, we want to pray with you and agree with you. Go ahead. Come on, if you raise your hand or you need prayer for anything, begin to make your way. Anybody else, you need prayer for anything?